Long Beach Sermons, visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. I just love how starting with music, for me at least, is just this invitation to slow down. All the other things that have happened in my week, not that I'm leaving them outside, they're still with me, but to hold them in a slightly different way, um, to be with God in a slightly different way, to allow myself to think and dream and feel sometimes in just a freer sort of way. So I'm not sure if that, if maybe music is what does it for you, like me, maybe for some of you it's, it's showing up and somebody has made you a warm cup of coffee. And that's that invitation for you, or just the people who know you and shake your hands. Others of you, you might actually be new here today. And you're going, what is this space I have stumbled into? Um, we hope that over the course of the morning, you feel that invitation as well, to be with God, to be with others in just a different way, hopefully a, a sort of freer way. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Brenna Rubio, and I'm one of the co-pastors here at City Church of Long Beach. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm just so glad to be with all of you this morning. City Church of Long Beach is a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus, joining him in the renewal of all things. And I think it's going to be a sweet Sunday here together. One of the first things that we love to do during each service, because we love our kids, is that we love to pray over them before they get to go out if they would like to, if the family would like them to, to, to be with the other kids for a time of stories and crafts and fun. Uh, so our friend Lisa Carpenter is going to come up and pray for our kids before she helps lead them off. So would you welcome up Lisa with me? Oh, we got Lisa and Co. I love it. <laughs> and that looks kind of delicious. Awesome. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Let's pray for our kiddos. Jesus, thank you so much for this day. Lord, I was just reminded as my kids were grabbing the yummy communion snacks this morning that we want to be a church that is welcoming to kids and mm. Um, forget all the formalities, Lord, that these yummy communion snacks are available for, for all mm. and that we love them and we want this place to be a loving place, unconditionally mm. loving for all of our kiddos as they grow. So Lord, help them uh, remember that this is a place of love this morning. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lisa. And thanks, kids, for being here with us this morning. If you would like to head out with your teachers, we hope you have ridiculous amounts of fun. And hey, Zoom folks, I forgot to say hi. Hi, Zoom. Uh, hey, Zoom folks, I'm Bill White and everyone else. I'm Bill White. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm the other co-pastor here at City Church of Long Beach. And we are starting a new sermon series today. Uh, where we're talking about a more human spirituality. Spirituality is so kind of spiritual. Like, I mean, it's like God, you know, but how do we actually, how, how do you and I, what do, what do we actually do to know God? What do we do with our, our bodies? What do we say? How do we feel? How do we actually do this spiritual journey that, that we talk about every week around here and we're still trying to figure this out okay and so this is sort of a lead off message there we're we're 
starting to go through the entire book of Hebrews, uh, which is a small book in the New Testament. Um, and, a, and a couple of things about Hebrews that I, I'm probably going to, hopefully I won't share too many offensive things, but um, we're just, we're just going to dive in and, and we're, gonna, we're just, just go with me a little bit. Okay. So the book of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, there is some conjecture, there are some scholars who believe that a woman wrote the book of Hebrews, which is why we don't know who wrote it, right? Because all the other books have attributions and they're always these male church leaders. And so we thought it might be fun to refer to the author of the book of Hebrews, who we don't know who they were, as she. And just to kind of joggle in our mind, like, oh, that's right. There were We've just talked the last few weeks about how there were key women disciples, key women who are leading the early church. I mean, this was just, this was normal. So why wouldn't we at least try it on? So we're just going to try it on. We're not saying this is fact, because we don't know. No one knows. But it's as likely or perhaps more likely as anything else. So this author, she writes this book that's very sort of theological and covers all this history and all this stuff, but, but embedded in each chapter, she talks about Jesus as someone that we can know. And our spirituality is something that's very, it's very earthy. And it, and it really matters how we see this, this God of ours. And so she, she's showing us Jesus to say, I want to show you a picture of God so that you can really connect in your normal everyday life. Okay, so that's, that's what she's doing. And by, by way of intro, I want us to think about our images of God and how they matter. Uh, I grew up kind of generically monotheistic-ish. I went to church every now and then, but not very much, and God was sort of nice and sort of out there. Um, but in high school, I met these Christians who invited me to their youth group, and they spoke about God as their father. And this was so exciting for me. And I ended up becoming a Christian because I realized, like, I could have an intimate relationship with God. Like, God was like, Dad. Right? It, was, it was this new image for me, and it was a gift. The intimacy was a gift. Now, with any images that we have of God, it, there's strengths to it, but there also can be some weaknesses to it, right? And so while I was very excited about knowing God, part of that was because it was so stinking hard to know my own father. And my father, wonderful in many ways, particularly in his later years, just grew so much, and there's so much gift there. But my father was an alcoholic. My father was emotionally distant. My father stockpiled anger for just the right explosive moments. And so after a little while, Father God felt really kind of distant. I, I couldn't connect. I, I tried so much as a kid. And then there seemed like there's a lot of anger in Father God. Right? Because our, our images 
of, of God matter. And so here in the book of Hebrews, what we have is we have some images of God to help us rethink, to recalibrate, to, to find in God a way that we can relate better. So that's this journey that we are on today. And so our friend Jojo is going to read scripture for us. If you'd welcome Jojo down. Uh, we're going to read from Hebrews. This is the very beginning of the book, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, often we stand, uh, you may stand uh, if you'd like, uh, here as we read scripture from Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews 1, uh, verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's being. People of God, this is the word of God. You may be seated. Thanks so much, Jojo. You nailed it. <laughs> so chapter one is all about the sun. Uh, and it's the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God's being. And so if we want to know God, we're going to look to the sun. Right? This, this, this is who we are as Christians. We believe in a, in a trinity, traditionally known as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The sun will often be called the second person in the trinity. Okay, um, and so this is a, and I just apologize, this is a nerdier sermon, okay, so just get your inner nerd on, all right, just bear with it, it'll be over soon. Um, but so what, what the author is saying is that Jesus is God, right, so you, if you're trying to figure out what God's like, well, let's, let's look at Jesus, and so in other places, the, the early author, Paul, he writes this in Colossians 2. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Right? So it's, it's God, boom, in the flesh. And when Jesus is walking around and he's talking to his friends, these women and men who are following him, his disciples, he says to them, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So Jesus is God in the flesh, right? And there are lots of passages about this in the New Testament. And what that means is there, there's, there's an implication here. For me, when I first sort of started on this Christian journey as a 16-year-old and then through college and started reading the Bible for the first time, I was just amazed that Jesus was God, like, wow, and these miracles and these healings, and these teachings and rising from the dead and defeating death. It was great. I was so enamored. Later, I realized it's not just, when, when, when I look at Jesus, it's not just that, that Jesus is like God. It's that God is like Jesus. And all of a sudden, uh, 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 a switch gets flipped in my mind. I'm like, oh, so if you want to know God, look at Jesus. This is the spiritual journey. 
right? Because the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Like if you want to know, God will look to Jesus. This is a, a more human spirituality. A lot of times churches will talk about the up, in, and out. This triangle view of what it means to be kind of a, a follower of Christ, right? This, the, and we'll, we even talk about it around here at City Church about the, the triangle, right? The up in our relationship to God, out in how we serve and care and love the world, do justice, and, and in towards the family of God, right? That this is the approach. Well, Brenna Rubio, because Brenna is a divergent thinker, um, actually said, well, I'm not sure that's the right image. And so she made it into this image, which is actually a lot better because if we want to know God, who do we look to? We look to Jesus. And so she calls it the, the in, out, and down, in community, out, serve, and love. And down is, well, that's where Jesus is. It's a more human spirituality because Jesus is here in the dirt. Jesus had dirty feet. And so he knows what it's like to be us. And we get to know God by looking at Christ. So for me, as someone whose God was distant and angry, for you, your God is whatever your God looks like. I, uh, I've had some conversations with a few of you, and it's pretty scary what your God looks like, which is kind of like my God, because we inherit all this stuff, all this baggage, oftentimes from our spiritual religious upbringings, oftentimes from our families. And we just project that onto God, onto the cosmic authority figure, and whew, it's a lot to carry around with us. But if God is like Jesus, if the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, then, then think about this. Jesus loved playing with kids. Did your God love to play with kids? That's, that's a real question. Jesus consistently taught, do not judge. Is that what your God teaches you? Or does your God teach you how to judge anyone who's different? Right? Jesus consistently goes, goes out and initiates towards people to draw them in. Is that what your God's like? Initiating towards people? Initiating towards you? You're always trying to find God. Jesus touches. He, he holds people. He puts his hands on people's head. He literally touches people's feet. And some of you have an issue with that. See your therapist. It's okay. He touched their feet. Like, what if God wants to touch us. And what is that like anyway? Because God's invisible and all that. So how do, I mean, but what if Jesus is actually showing this is what God really is about and your spirituality, this is what it's about. There's a physicality to it. And Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. 
I suppose that means God weeps. So often we, you know, I remember, because I became a Christian in the 80s. So our God was an awesome God. It was a song. It was like, oh, it was a rocking song, right? And, but like, I've actually sung it since as our God is a weeping God. What if our God, I mean, sure, yeah, he, God is awesome and powerful like the American military. It's kind of what, like, oh, no, not like that. I mean, like, just awesome. No, but that's actually the images in my head. No, what if God is a weeping God? Jesus, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Like, this is what Jesus is saying. This is it. Do you want to know God? God is like Jesus. Jesus who blesses the poor, blesses the meek, touches the leper, centers women, lifts up sexual minorities, the eunuch in chapter 19, as models of faithfulness. A non-binary person, a eunuch, Jesus lifts them up as the model of discipleship. This is what God does. Jesus forgives the sinner. Jesus is always healing people of different cultural, racial backgrounds and honoring them in their faith journeys. Jesus defeats death and along the way critiques the powerful and undermines their systems of oppression. And this is what God is like. I suspect that your God and my God need a bit of an upgrade to know this really good God. We're going to shift in just a moment to one of the practical implications of this, but let's just, we're just going to, I want people just to breathe, like just take a minute and quiet, about 30 seconds and quiet, and just think like, what if God was really, really, really good? Like, like what we're hearing. What if that? And what's your God like? And how does that, might that need to change? So just take a minute, take a couple of deep breaths. So let's look now. We're trying to look at a more human spirituality. Let's look at the sun, who is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And what does that look in our daily lives as a, as a college student, as a parent coach, right? As a, as a nurse and an educator, right? What, what, what does it look like for us? The question is, Jesus, who took on flesh and bone like you and me, invites us to know 
him in, in our very lives, in, in, in our lives, in our embodied existence. It says in, in the next chapter of Hebrews chapter 2, it says, for this reason, Jesus had to be made like them, he's talking about humanity, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful high priest and blah, blah, right? So fully human in every way. And, and Jesus was, was incarnate as, as a person, as a singular person, right? Wasn't for all times, was born in the first century, right? Was male, was born in Palestine, was Middle Eastern, right? He had a certain hair color, was black. Certain skin color is brown, right? He had a language that he spoke growing up. It was not English. Sorry. Um, he was a particular person, but he was fully human so that each human could know that they are fully honored in Christ. And so throughout the centuries and throughout the world, Jesus has always been pictured in the ways that we need to picture Jesus. And so this is a, an image of just, I just pulled these off the internet, um, of Christ enculturated, right? Jesus looks different for different people. Sure, we know he was a first century Jewish man. But isn't this beautiful? Like, what if you could see Christ and know Christ in your life. God connecting to you. God who became flesh so that your flesh could be honored and that you could know God as you are. We're going to take this one step further, and this might feel a little new to many of us. It's not new to Christian history. But let's think for a moment about the gender of Christ. Okay? The gender of Christ. There's certain historic Christian traditions. Now, the Catholic tradition, for example, and uh, Orthodox um, Christian tradition that say that, that priests need to be male to reflect the maleness of God. Now, that has not been our perspective uh, as would come from the Protestant tradition, okay? There are three main traditions in the, in the church. Um, so in our kind of tradition, that's not how we do it. And around city church, we, we obviously have a little bit more flexibility in that. Okay, so we want to honor like, hey, people see this differently. I'm not saying like, oh, everything Bill says is absolutely true. You need to think about this and process it, Okay. Jesus himself was male, right? We know that. That's not in question. But do we only see Jesus that way? Could we not see Jesus more like ourselves if, for example, we're not male? Um, and I want us to think a little bit about how language is used. So in the Bible and in the first century and in this text, we see certain male language used to describe Jesus and describe God. Like, for example, many people will use mankind to mean humankind, not male kind, right? 
And that humankind is, includes all humans, and mankind sometimes can be unhelpful. And in this particular chapter of Hebrews, the name Jesus actually does not come up. It's just the sun. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. The sun is this. The sun is that. The sun is this. And in the same way that people use mankind to refer to humankind, people in the first century used son to refer to child. Do you have a son meant do you have a child, male or female or non-binary? Okay? Are you doing the math with me here? So, and let's take this a step further. So the first chapter of Hebrews does not use gendered language for Jesus. But the other thing that's going on in, in this first chapter, and, and, you know, if this is too weird, just hang in there. We're going to get to an exercise where I'm going to show you, like, this is why this matters. Also in the, in the first chapter of Hebrews, there's a reference to Christ before Christ was Jesus. All right, so we think of Jesus Christ as like, what is that, his first name, his last name? No, Christ means Messiah. It was Jesus, this person, was the Christ, the Messiah. It's like a title, okay? And so when we think about the Trinity, traditionally Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as we talk about the second person of the Trinity, it's the Christ is the second person of the Trinity. And so I'd like to ask you this question. What is it? What gender was Jesus before he was born? Think about that. The Christ is eternal. Jesus was, was a human and had a beginning, right? Christmas story, manger, angels, Mary, all that, right? Before that, there actually was no Jesus. The Christ, the second person of the Trinity, has existed forever and ever and always will. I hope this is making sense. So the Christ has no gender. The Christ is God. We don't believe that God has gender. God is not male or female. And Christ also actually has no gender. And in the verse immediately preceding the sun is the radiance or the child is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's glory. And the, and the, the phrase immediately preceding this about this child is this, through whom God made the universe. It's a specific reference to the pre- incarnate Christ, to Jesus before he was Jesus, right? At the beginning of time. It's, it's a reference to the, the second person in the Trinity who is not gendered. And so it's actually entirely appropriate to come to this passage and say, I want to know Christ as a woman or as a non-binary person. Like that's, that's actually okay. In fact, it's super healthy, right? You saw the image of of the four different kind of ethnic views of, of Jesus? Why not different gendered or sexual orientation views of Jesus? What if we actually got to know God right where we are? In, in our embodied life, 
And we've got to know that God is that good and is that close and understands me that well. The rest of the New Testament um, supports this theology. It talks about Jesus as Sophia, right? the, the, the feminine uh, embodiment of wisdom. There are multiple references to that in the New Testament, in, in the Bible. We're talking about the Bible here, right? Um, and, and the idea here is, well, this, this idea of relating to, to Christ as a woman or as a non-binary person might feel new to us. It's not new to the church. So in a few minutes, we're going to pray a prayer together written by one of the quote-unquote fathers of the church, Anselm, big name, 11th century, who writes this prayer to Mother Jesus. And we're just going to pray that prayer today. Okay? Because, again, he's trying to relate to God in the way that he needed to. And God said, yeah, I'm, look at Jesus. You'll see me. I'm that good. I'm, I'm big enough for that. And just as a, as a reminder, so we're, the idea of here is like including the feminine, not worshiping the feminine, right? It's, it's like, sure, we can include the masculine in God, of course. Hopefully we're not worshiping the masculine. I feel like sometimes maybe the church has. And so the correction is not to worship the feminine, but to be inclusive of the feminine and, and the non-binary. Because Jesus was fully human, as the text we read said. And this fully human person, just like you, showed us what God is really like. Um, I'm going to invite a Brennan Rubio, who may not agree with everything I just said. <laughs> who often does not agree with everything I've said, um, to like reflect a little bit and, and then maybe lead us through an exercise to, um, to, to embody I, this. I loved a lot of what you said. <laughs> so she said that? I just told him this morning if he invited me up here, he had to be prepared for the possibility <laughs> that I might have some alternate viewpoints. Um, you know, sort of at his own risk, his own discretion, if he wanted to invite me up. Um, no, that was so wonderful. I enjoyed reflecting on that. And here's, here's what Bill reminded me of as he was speaking. Um, there's a black public theologian, some of you may have heard of before, named Christina Cleveland. And a few years ago now, she wrote a book that got a lot of attention in certain circles because the book was entitled, God is a Black Woman. And she was very emphatic like, I mean, this mattered to her, like, God must be black. And it was really fascinating. I actually, I can't tell you that I, I've read the book, but I read a lot of like discussion and articles and interview. I probably listened to a few podcasts, right? Because I just, I thought it was so intriguing. Because basically what she was saying is, hey, there is this sense in which in our society, we have this tendency to other, right? Some people are in, and some people are out. And often there are identity markers that sort of push people towards the out, 
And two of those identity markers that would tend to push people towards the furthest margins would be womanhood, right? Male versus female, woo, right? Woman, your other, and blackness, especially in our culture, right? Whiteness and blackness kind of form this dichotomy of the in and the out. And if you're not white or black, then sort of which way you're leaning, which, which power structure you're able to connect with is gonna affect some things about your social position and how others see you and treat you. And, and so basically she's, she's saying, if we worship a God who is radically inclusive, who is radically for those who are othered, who would bring them in, who identifies with those, God must be black. Like we must be able to think of God in those terms. Today, we might even want to add queer over there, right? As another, hey, when we think about who tends to get othered. Um, and <laughs> so there's this one particular interaction she was describing where this, this pastor who I think was kind of trying to come along with her on the journey, but it was a little, he was, you know, probably a white male pastor right? And it was a little mind-bending for him, and he was, he was struggling a little bit. This maybe sounded a little too far out there for where he was at, and so he's like, okay, I'm, I'm trying, Christina, you know, so are you saying that God is literally a black woman? And she kind of looked at him and said, do you say a lot of literal things about God? Right? Like, think about that for just a moment, right? These are all pictures we have. They're all metaphors because God is so big and so huge. But are we willing to have a picture of God that will include? Can we have a picture that is that white to, to include all of our friends and include even us and our experience? That as we think about becoming more like Christ, it's not becoming more male necessarily. It's not becoming more Middle Eastern necessarily. It's imagining if Christ were to live our very embodied lives, what would that look like? Can you imagine Christ in your life, Christ in your particular embodiment in the world? So we are going to try a little prayer experiment. Um, I think we may have a musician or two join us, maybe not, if we don't. Okay, I think Alex is coming up. I say, Amy, our worship coordinator is much more organized than Bill and I are. So I'm like, I'm fine with silence too. We asked pretty late. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. Uh, we're gonna have a little music playing and we are gonna have an image that comes up, an image of Christ on the cross as a woman. And for some of you, this may feel like a very stretching image. It might even be disturbing. If it's not for you this morning, I invite you to recognize that. Just gently place it on the side. I'm gonna read a poem reflecting on Christ as a woman on a cross. Again, maybe it'll be a healthy, a good stretch for you this morning. Maybe it won't be. Maybe you just wanna notice that and be gentle with yourself, say, all right. Not everything is for every person, but we're going to invite you to listen and to hear what is the healthy stretch for you this morning in believing that 
Christ could be like your friends, could live a life like your friends. Christ could live a life like yours. So whatever you need this morning in this space, I'm going to read this poem. Um, I think the image is going to be up here on the screen. Take what you need. Breathe a bit. Pray a bit. What does God have for you in these next few moments? Oh God, through the image of a woman crucified on a cross, I understand at last. For over half my life, I have been ashamed of the scars I bear. These scars tell an ugly story, a common story about a girl and her trauma. In the warmth, peace, and sunlight of your presence, I was able to uncurl the tightly clenched fists. For the first time, I felt your suffering presence with me in that event. I have known you as a vulnerable baby, as a brother, and as a father. Now I know you as a woman. You were there with me as the girl caught in helpless suffering. The chains of shame and fear no longer bind my heart and body. A slow fire of compassion and forgiveness is kindled. My tears fall now for man as well as for woman, for all of us. You were not ashamed of your wounds. You showed them to Thomas as marks of your ordeal and death. I will no longer hide these wounds of mine. I will bear them gracefully. They tell a resurrection story. Let's continue in prayer quietly for another minute or two. 